may be seated. Stephen, thank you. Before we study, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and before I do that, uh, many of you may have read in our bulletin, uh, Tanessa Cowan, was Tanessa here this morning? Tanessa, I'm going to ask that you stand right back there where the church can see you, and a uh, beautiful smiling face. Uh, Tanessa, you can go ahead and be seated, thank you. She is, she has accepted a position to teach kindergarten in Guatemala. And so uh, she's going to be leaving here very soon. Today will be her last Sunday with us for about a year. She'll get to come back during the holidays and other times uh, to visit family. But uh, this is an English-speaking Christian school in the Guatemalan highlands in the city of Quetzaltenango. That was terrible, wasn't it? Uh, she would really appreciate our prayers right now. And uh, boy, isn't that admirable for her to, to leave comfort, to leave family. And let me tell you, the Cowan girls are not afraid of anything. And uh, they know that God is on their side. And they have been raised in a great Christian home. And they've been also been raised to not be afraid to go on an adventure as we would call it, and uh, this is an adventure. And uh, Tanessa, we're so proud of you, and uh, I'm going to ask that we go to God in prayer this morning uh, on her behalf, and also for, this, for the kids that she will be teaching uh, this next year. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you work in our lives and the way that you bless us. Father, today I'm so thankful for Tanessa, for the gifts that you have given her, for the way that you have shaped and molded her life to the young lady that she is today. And Father, you have prepared her for the task that she is about to embark upon. And I pray that as she accepts this mission to teach young minds and young students in Guatemala, I pray that you bless her. I pray that her Christian spirit and Christian influence will leave an impression and a mark on these young minds that she will be shaping and molding. And I pray, Father, that you bless her as she is separated from family. But, Father, we know that she will do great things in your name. And we're excited to, for her progress and to keep up with her. But Father, more than anything, we want to be prayer warriors for her. And we lift her before you today, and we pray this prayer of blessing in the name of Jesus and all the church said, Amen. Long before the Jewish leaders had Jesus arrested in the garden they had determined in their minds that one thing has to happen they've got to kill him I want you to turn in John's gospel to John chapter 11 and I want you to find verse 47 John 11 beginning in verse 47 then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting 
of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. See, I've lost my place. And I've even got my glasses on. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples. Do you see the contrast that's going on here? If we let this man live, if we let this man continue, then one thing's going to happen. More people are going to not only hear about him, they're actually going to believe in him and place their faith in him. Did not want that. And you know, all through John's gospel, John is setting us up to realize that this is exactly why Jesus came. So that more and more people could come to believe in him. And so they knew the only way out, we've got to kill them. And so as you make your way over to John chapter 12, the first time there in about verse 20, he is predicting his death. And now I want you to turn over to John 18 and find verse 28, and we'll read there in just a moment. They bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. They led him through the streets in shame. They spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him, he's to blame. Upon his precious head they placed a crown of thorns. They laughed and said, behold the king. They struck him and they cursed him and mocked his holy name. All alone he suffered everything. And when they nailed him to the cross, his mother stood nearby. He said, Woman, behold thy son. He cried, I thirst for water, but they gave him none to drink. Then the sinful work of man was done. And to the howling mob he yielded. He did not for mercy cry. The cross of shame he took alone, and when he cried, it's finished. He gave himself to die because salvation's wondrous plan was done. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. 
the cross, as we suggested last week at the first part of this chapter, stands at the very heart of who we are. The cross stands at the very heart of Christianity as a whole. It always has and it always will. And in spite of the fact of the world that we live in today and all the accusations and all the things that they throw against the name of Jesus, we have been reminded this morning through the beautiful song that it's in Christ alone that we stand. And nobody can ever take that away from our faith. Amen? But just like they did in Jesus' day, they will continue to do even today. People will fight it. And people will throw every accusation imaginable our way simply because we wear the name of Christ. There were others, the disciples, for example. They wore the name of Christ, didn't they? They were followers of Christ. They were following every day, trying to learn from their master because they were students. Okay, That was the relationship that they had. They were trying to learn all they could and what it really meant to deny self and take up the cross and follow after this one that they didn't really know very well. All they knew was, he said, drop everything you have and come follow me. And so they did that. And the more they did that and the longer that they followed Jesus, they began to, they began to realize, you know, not everything about this man is popular. And they began to see that so many did not want to place their faith in him. And so all through the gospel story leading up to the garden, we see people on both sides. We see people trying to grow in their faith, and then we also see fear at hand. God's in charge of one, and Satan was in charge of of the other. Do we not see that even today, that spiritual battle that takes place? Do you not witness that? Do you not experience that in your own walk of faith? You want to grow in faith and you want to have a strong faith and you want to do all these things with faith, but fear is right there. And in our minds, we would say, you know, I would never deny Christ. I mean, how could I ever deny the one who not only gave his life for me, but he died a cruel death on the cross? So I would never deny Christ. Imagine Peter probably thought that a few times in his life, too, that he would never deny him. But it's altogether a different story when the crowd is there. Because the crowd's popular. But what we see is being popular is not always being right, is it? 
And there's a big difference. And so pick up in John's Gospel in chapter 18, verse 28. The Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. And by now it's early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. And so Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? Now, think about it. As this scene starts, Pilate, in his mind, he is doing everything he can to try to find a loophole. Okay? He's doing everything he can to save this man. I mean, from a human perspective, his life is hanging in the balance before Pilate. And to complicate the matters, you remember that the governor's wife had experienced this troubling dream and even encouraged him, whatever you do, try to treat this man, Jesus, in a fair way and treat him good. But yet the mob yells out that if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. And as we know, everybody bowed down to Caesar at that time. But again, in Pilate's mind, at the beginning here, he's going to do anything he can to save this man. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Verse 31, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened. So that the words that Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. And Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And I love Jesus' question here. Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you've done? And listen to verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Man, is that not a powerful message even today? The world that we live in right now is not our home. The world we live in right now is not even our kingdom. Because the kingdom that we are a part of is one that's unshakable, Scripture says. It's a kingdom that no matter what happens to us here... We're going to be okay on the other side. But while we're here, it may be painful, it may get ugly, it may be hard. I mean, we can just go on and on, can't we? But do you hear the message before Jesus dies? My kingdom is not of this world, which means that the kingdom that we are a part of is his kingdom. And we belong to a totally 
different place. And my kingdom, he says, is from another place. Now that startled Pilate. And look what he says in verse 37. Ha, you are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Even at the time of his death, do you see what Jesus is doing? He has not forgotten his mission. Even when he's about to hang on the cross between two thieves, even in that moment, he could have done anything, couldn't he? He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have worked another miracle. He could have escaped it. But why did he not? Because it was not the Father's will. Big, big point to make. Because it was God's will for him to go to the cross and to die the cruel, criminal death, he fulfilled the mission of his Father. And even in the heat of the moment, he is answering all of it just as truthful as he knows how because that's his mission. That's his agenda. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at a time of the Passover do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. And now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Fear and faith always at work. Even in our life today. Look at verse 17 of chapter 18. The first time when Peter's asked, you're not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter, and he replied, I am not. And then look down in verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself by the fire, he was asked, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it again, saying, I am not. And then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear that Peter had cut off challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So what happened to Peter? Been a lot of things. And here's the scary part. The same thing that happened to Peter can happen to us. For example, we can say, well, Satan got the best of them. Does Satan ever get the best of us? Or we could say, you know, he was caught sleeping and he wasn't watching and he wasn't praying. Are we ever guilty of that? Or you could say that his spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. 
or he gave in to fear. Or you can even say, as popular today, to say peer pressure just got the best of him. And as I remind us of those things this morning, may I also remind us, just as it happened with Peter, it can happen with you and I. It can happen all too suddenly. And so, as I've been studying through John's gospel, and as I come to chapter 18, the last few weeks, I couldn't help but start writing down some questions, and I really couldn't help but think about the characters that you see in John 18. And then I thought, you know, I wonder this. I wonder with whom of these characters do we really look like the most? And you might say, well, it depends on what day it is. Maybe so. I don't know. But if you go through and look at the characters here, you begin to see you had Judas, the betrayer. You had Peter up in verse 10, the defender. And then you have Peter as he's denying Christ, being a coward about it. And then look in verse 14. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. And so what you see there with Caiaphas, he's what we would call a spineless leader. Okay? Not suggesting that we struggle with that today in our world, but you can think about that if you want to. Then you see Pilate. Look at verse 39. It is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? What's Pilate really doing here? Is he not kind of compromising? Do we ever find ourselves in compromising situations in our faith? And then one of my favorite characters and here's one of my favorite things about him we don't even know his name but what we know is pretty important look at verse 15 Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard and then look in verse 16. But Peter had to wait outside at the door, and the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. Unnamed. But what do you see this unnamed follower of Jesus doing? Just being as loyal as he could. What a great example. How loyal are we to the one who died for us? How loyal will we be when peer pressure hits, when the heat of the moment comes, and those troubling times of faith are present? What will we do? And let me tell you this, church, it's not a matter of when it'll happen or not a matter of if that will happen it's a matter of when those times will take place 
But you know, here's the good news. Even when we deny the Lord, life's not over, is it? Even when we deny Christ, that's not the end of the story. We know that to be true even in Peter's case. Turn over a couple of chapters to chapter 21. And look at what takes place. When they had finished eating in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Do you see what Jesus is doing with Peter? As the heading in our Bibles indicate he is reinstating Peter. He is forgiving Peter for the times of denial and he's saying this is what you're capable of now. Even, yes, into my death, but even after that you will continue to grow. And you will continue to be a follower. And we know that to be true because of what he says in 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn over there. 2 Peter chapter 3. And listen to the growth, the spiritual growth that has taken place in Peter's life. After all this time, verse 17 of chapter 3 Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. You think he's learned a little bit about peer pressure? You think he's learned a little bit about when the time comes that you have to speak up for Christ? Instead of denying him, here's what you can do instead talking about the secure position they hold because of Christ. 
And then verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. There's hope for our life, isn't there? And even in those moments where Peter said, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. Jesus later on says, you still must follow me. He could have said, I don't think so. You had every opportunity and you denied me, so I don't think so. You know why he didn't say that? My kingdom is not of this world. The worldly standpoint would have said, no way. Jesus' kingdom says, yes. And it's made all the difference in our life, hasn't it? And so, I want you to think about something for a moment. It is all too easy for us to gather in a comfortable room like this and to sing moving songs about the cross and to be reminded from scriptures about the cross. And there's even times where it moves us so much that emotion kicks in, and that's great. And we shed a tear and we're taken back in time and we begin to realize, look at all that Christ has done for me. It's one thing from the emotional side, and I'm not taking that away at all, but it's altogether something else for us to realize that living faith and living life is not about sitting in this room. It's about getting up and as we walk out these doors and whatever exit you choose to take out of this building, will you live a life of surrender and service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Will you stand up for Him? got one in our church family that said, yeah, I'll do that. If that means I need to go to Guatemala to do it, I'll do that. Now, I'm not saying you've got to go somewhere else to serve. I'm not saying that at all. There are plenty of opportunities to be witnesses for Christ right here in this area. Amen? And we're doing that. And we want to continue to do more. Because Christ has done so much for us, how could we dare not want to live a life of surrender and service every day? Because when we live that, we're being witnesses of the fact that the one who died for me is everything to who I am. And we just want to continue to grow, just like Peter said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to do that. And as we 
pray for deeper ways to find connection with God and to find ways that we can reach out more than ever, we begin to realize we do that because that's the message of the cross. And that's a message that I dare not pass up. In Christ alone, we take our stand. In Christ alone is where we find the glory. And just as Christ went to the cross to fulfill glory, we fulfill that every day by the things we say, by the people we come in contact with, and by every opportunity that we have to say, I've decided to follow Jesus. May God bless us to that end. And may God even bless us and forgive us when we fail and when we deny and when we fall short. The cross reminds us there's always hope. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. As we stand to sing a song this morning, if there's anything that we can do to help you draw closer to that message and to see what that life looks like, we want to do that. And we ask you to come right now as we stand and as we sing. <clears throat>